0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty,
1: and joining me today is Corey, managed security provider and Cloud SaaS marketplace fanboy, which is a little long. So Corey, suck up, not grinder. <laughs> there you go. Uh,
0: we have a very special episode for you today for two big reasons. First off, we're joined by not one, not two, but three cybersecurity experts in the MSP and MSSP space. Looking forward to hearing all of their expertise here in a bit. And also, as you can tell, we are coming to you live from watchcom sales kickoff conference.
1: Let the world hear you!
0: See, proof. people do actually listen to this sometimes. <laughs> So we'll start out today. I want to give a, get a quick introduction from each of you, um, and then we'll dive into some questions. I guess let's start with uh, Calvin. Uh, let's hear a bit of where you came from, uh, what you're doing now, and uh, just give us a good intro.
2: Sure. So of course, uh, my name is Calvin Ingen. I'm the chief technology officer for F12. And you know my genesis story, I would say, is you know, I got a chance to really, dive into the managed service space and look at where our clients were having gaps and started to craft products and services that really allowed them to focus and thrive on their own businesses. And so we continue to develop that area. And of course, as we know today, cybersecurity is at the forefront of many businesses. And we see so much, I would say, carnage out there. And as a result, we're really looking to help be the standard, change the the profiteering that's occurring in this space by creating something that makes sense for those small to medium enterprises. And so uh, I'm happy to be uh, on that journey and speaking with my fellow colleagues here. Yeah, happy to have you. And then Matt,
0: I know this is not your first rodeo on the podcast. I get around. Luckily, had you on sometime before. But for the folks that haven't had a chance to meet you, you want to give us a bit of an intro and uh, what you've been
3: up to? Yeah, I you know. For reference, my uh, punch in the face that started this all was from Soto No Kiwi, Our Evil, and we lost $3 million on an acquisition uh, by them being ransomed completely. And so that was the beginning of my journey, as I stated on the first podcast. Um, I actually started with an MSP in 2011. We were a WatchGuard partner uh, basically day two. Uh, we left SonicWall, so that was fantastic and went through many of the same journey points that, that uh, he said as well. So... Um, Now I work at a vendor and I do market education and thought leadership work and SME work around cybersecurity for most of my role. Awesome. And something new that's changed as you had asked was just today I dealt with an incident of an MSP that threat actors in the ransomware families are actually recruiting their employees with direct text messages and very, very, very English speaking human calls to recruit them to simply give credentials and they'll pay them a million dollars. Um, and wow. most of these numbers are untraceable, public switch telephone network numbers that are just there to do this purpose. Um, so, yes, Jeez. things are getting deeper. That is
0: less cool. Yeah, not <laughs> great. And then of course, Scott. So when we originally invited you on here it was for a, a role that you are no longer in. Uh, so in the, context, watch guard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in the context of this episode, let's hear about like your history, your background of where you got to, and also what you're doing right now.
4: Sure, so uh, Scott Williamson. Um, formerly with um, uh, True Digital Security Server Sentinel. Um, my position there was vice president of SOC NOC operations. I was responsible for building their SOC about eight years ago, transitioning through uh, the changes, you know, starting with network security monitoring into MDR, into XDR, into vulnerability management, things like that. Um, we, we grew that to support about 500 uh, end clients. Um, 50,000 endpoints under MDR, 180,000 under XDR. Um, And so now, uh, as of Sunday, as I was flying up here, um, I'm, you know, WatchGuard employees. I've been um, brought on to start defining and and creating managed services for, for WatchGuard. Fantastic.
1: And we just asked the intro, but if you watch the 443, a tradition with new guests is your hacker origin story. If you don't know what that is, a lot of us think of hackers as criminal folks, but back in my day, it was actually the good guys that used hacker. I know. Pop up, Corey. Back in mud. Get off my lawn, Mark. Anyways. Stop throwing (laughs) hot pennies at me, Corey. So, this is like to give you an example. No, I got my first 300 baud coupler modem in freaking, and, and the underground BBSs were what got me started. So whether it's interest in cybersecurity or you're interested in using technology
2: to innovate, what is your hacker origin story, Calvin? Oh my gosh. Uh, so it's going to be less cool than that. Uh, I was sitting on my, my grandfather's knee when I was two years old playing Sesame Street Shapes and Colors. <laughs> And I remember that moment because I was like, "One, wow, it's interactive." And then two is like, fast-forward five or six years. I'm now maybe 11, and now I'm teaching him what's happening on that computer. And uh, the rest is history, but I would say I would have been a, a gamer. I love hardware, and so I built all my friends' computers, yeah. and we would land party, I'd buy switches, and uh, it just became a passion. Now fast forward to today, you know, the cybersecurity is just so front of mind and my job is really to keep our clients' data safe and secure and so that just became a necessity and that's why I yeah. am here
1: today. Imagine all our rookies today, man. They're digital natives, so they're like you times <laughs> right. 12. Yeah. I still have to tell them what a rotary phone yeah. is. Right? <laughs> so Scott, what about you? Hacker origin story?
4: Well, much like Calvin, I started young. Um, I remember my, my father, you know, saving up money, going out and getting me an Atari 520ST computer, because that, that's what I wanted. And You know, about a week later, I had it in 15 different parts sitting on my desk, yeah. and he came in my room and saw it. And so out of necessity, I learned how to put it back together and make it work <laughs> yeah. very quickly. Um, but from there, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be in tech, um, did a lot of sales engineering in the telecom days for, for some of the larger telecom companies out there, um, moved into you know, big iron data center infrastructure, uh, and then this thing called PCI compliance came down. Mm. And all of a sudden, it was like, hey, big you're going on. to be our compliance guy, right? And so I, it's not a hacker, it's more of a blue team story, right, it is figuring out what the hackers were doing or what they were going to potentially do and kind of grow from there. Same so I'm, knowledge base. I'm, I'm definitely more blue team than I was. <laughs> gotcha. you know,
1: and by the way, you know, we've had Matt on the podcast before, so our audience has been lucky enough to hear a story, but we have a lot of new folks here. Do you, have, you have a lot of cool stories. What were you doing as a teenager?
3: Oh, yeah, I actually ran one of those underground VBSs, <laughs> and now that we're probably past the statute of limitations, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to recut no discs. No one hears this. We don't publish yeah, yeah. this. <laughs> it's, it's great. Yeah, no, this is perfect. This will never be used against me, um, but I would recut AOL discs and bring them to the Home Depots yes. and the Walmarts and the places where they were. With malware, uh, and then I would steal creds and ship modems to my BBS because <laughs> they used to have this feature where you could put a PO box in yeah. and ship a modem to yourself, right? So, um, but I started similar, right? Just tech, and I just wanted to touch it. And it, I'm a very kinesthetic learner in general, and so being able to just manipulate stuff and put a card in and go, let's set a COM port and an IRQ port, and it was just fascinating to me. So that, that would have been the start.
1: I think that's great because to to protect against innovative people, you have to have innovative people that think outside the box. So I think that's why you're all great at your job.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that and really happy to have you all on for this one. First time we've had more than one guest at a time, so this should be pretty good. Uh, So we are very excited to hear all about what we can learn from you over the course of a couple topics, um, including how WatchGuard can help provide security at scale for MSPs. Uh, We're going to divide this into two main sections here. Uh, so, we'll start with some high-level business, industry, and security trends that are affecting all organizations. And then we're going to talk about what our experts here uh, look forward to differentiate products and services uh, that they use to support their business. that sound good, everyone? So, with that, let's just go ahead and kick our way in. Uh, first question, so, about, you know, last two, three, maybe more years or so, it's been pretty crazy with a lot of massive breaches caused through supply chain attacks against vendors and organizations that we use across the world. Uh, and one of, the big, uh, one of our big security predictions this year, if you've been following the podcast or watch any of the videos that we put out, please, hopefully, <laughs> uh, you'll know that one of our predictions is that the fallout of these attacks are going to drive uh, s- uh, security programs as a top factor as you're selecting the vendors you're gonna work with in your business.
1: If you wanna know a new acronym, it's, it's called TPRM, or, or, or did I actually say it right? Third Party Risk Management. Yes. Mm-hmm. So other people to work with you need to know if they can trust you. Another acronym, good. Yeah. That's what we need. What we love, process. more acronyms yeah. in our industry. Uh, so
0: with Corey's in my job, like, we get to see both sides of this.
1: So we are
0: both responsible for managing our third party security assessments with other vendors that we work with as a company, as well as answering those assessments that come in from our customers. So I guess the question starting with Calvin, but everyone else free to chime in as well. Um, How important are vendor security validations for your organization and your customers?
2: So it's vital. Uh, We actually, we take an approach where when we bring on a vendor, we actually go through that risk criteria first. Because often, we can eliminate a lot of different vendors because they just don't do it. Like, I mean, they don't have policies, procedures, they don't have a security program. And so this is a really quick way to shortcut our way out of a vendor. Now, that being said, we have to evaluate existing vendors, and we take a pretty pragmatic approach to this. Um, We look at what data is going to be stored on a vendor, and then we can make a decision on what kind of level of security that they would require and then we can line them up and make sure that they're actually measuring up to that criteria. And then of course, we can make some you know, risk-based approach. But if we don't have the data, you can't do that. <clears throat> and when you're responsible for your client's data, you have to be doing your due diligence. So we're seeing more and more of this happen. We're getting clients asking that of us. I know I asked that of WatchGuard. Yeah. And sorry, <laughs> I'm actually i was going to say
1: job security right if you wonder why you need corporate security so i can make sure the vendor trusts so
3: you can sell our product well and and i think to your point it's shifting right as we see insurance and one of the things you have to understand threat actors or what people call hackers i'm a hacker so i don't like to use that term in a pejorative fashion but threat actors are business people they want to make money it is a business period and so when you think about this that means that they're just as smart as you are where if you can do something better and at a larger scale with a force multiplication so you don't duplicate your efforts, they're not stupid. They'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. And so there's this awakening and understanding that combined with this, all of the vendors, and I don't mean this negative, it's just part of capitalism and the way it works, have only been called to be as mature as the maturity of the person consuming it. Yeah. And so a lot of times stuff that goes into technical debt and risk and vulnerabilities are all things that are put in the background so that you can move forward with the next product release or the next thing that drives revenue. And so you see this world building up where you have threat actors realizing there's force, force multipliers, like, hey, if I could just take out all of the code of WatchGuard, I now have a much bigger access to a pool of people I can get ransom from or extract money from. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have companies that are either doing that well or not doing that well. And, and that's going to be a big part of that. How many vulnerabilities? What are the things they're not doing? And to your point, there's not a policy. It doesn't exist. It's a dream. Yeah. And if you're not following those and can prove it, you haven't met due care. And, and the shifting challenge that goes with this, and I swear to God, I'm going to shut up and it's yours. But. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. The shifting challenge that comes with this is the only standard of law in most of the five eyes countries, Canada, U.S., U.K., Australia, and New Zealand, is really just reasonableness. Just wow. saying, did this company act reasonably? And when he does his evaluations of companies and has a standard, fires companies that don't meet it, can do that, he's building in front of a jury that won't understand a single word I say or none of the acronyms, the ability to go, was that reasonable? Yeah. Was he being reasonable? And then, if you take that even further, CIS and your control families that are out there say, "Control 15, understand your vendor risk." And so you, you, you're finding all these perfect scenarios where what used to would have been is, "I trust them; they're great." Now becomes, "I need some empiricism to actually prove this in some form or fashion." Yeah. Yeah, Do well, you think that,
4: Scott? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to shift the chair? Yeah, <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Matt show. By the
3: way. Oh, it's no. okay. It's normally the Corey show. Oh. I, I, I followed him when I was young and talked about suckers. That's, no, That's yeah. Matt. Yeah.
1: So follow-up though, have you ever had a process go awry? Actually, Calvin, you kind of already answered this in, in finding a vendor that doesn't even have policies, which blows even my mind. That's the easy part is writing down the policy. Do you guys have examples of vendors that do it bad or, you know... <laughs>
3: No, oh, yeah. I can't do that. I'm in the channel. Do <laughs> you do have anonymous? Anonymous? Oh, yes. How
1: how would you? What's a bad way to handle vendor validation for our partners? A bad way to yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. What what's, what should we not do?
2: Uh, not not do it, I guess. No. But I, what I mean by that is, so you need to take a, a really methodical approach, right? One, you know, just don't ask. Like, have a criteria. Yeah. Start with a baseline and then apply that. So we have you know, 30, I think nine questions that we ask, and they, they actually test the same thing in different ways to get to a different answer. And it's, it's not, we're not trying to trick them. What we're trying to understand is what's the level of maturity? But I can tell you, if a payment vendor doesn't have policies on security, you probably shouldn't use them. Uh, that's <laughs> no fair. point out. You know, like... <laughs> kind of a red flag. But here's the yeah. challenge. Here's the challenge. You're going to have a number of startups that are trying to eke their way into the community, and they got to start somewhere, and they're going to be very appealing at a low cost. Yep. But That low cost comes with such a greater, momentous <laughs> amount of risk. Now, you have to be aware that... Are you going to take the chance on that? Are you going to be... Willing to risk your business or your clients for maybe a little bit of a you know a haircut on price, I can tell you what I recommend, and it's not that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: One other follow-up, just to give you really quickly, is uh, so one of the things we work at WatchGuard for our products is working on certifications like mm-hmm. ISO twenty-seven hundred one yep. or SOC two. How
4: does that apply to this vendor validation? Do you guys care about it? Use it? Yeah, yeah absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely. we. Um, you know, we came from a SOC 2 Type 2 company. We, we got ours, I want to say three years ago, three and a half mm-hmm. years ago, um, and it's invaluable, right? We have clients that are requiring that from us, right? Because so, it's the easy button for them to pass through on their SOC 2 Type 2 that they're trying to do. Uh, plus, it's good for us, right? It's good for us to understand where, where do we need to work? What are, you know, what are we making? What are we kicking the box on and everything else? So, absolutely.
3: I, I give a counterpoint to this. Um, I, I would actually say, A lot of vendors and parties hide behind those certifications, and one of the challenges is it's a question of what are you doing. If you're trying to serve the business unit to be able to hand a document that says, yes, I'm secure so that we can continue doing business, boy, it meets that requirement. If you want to stop me from breaking into your network, it probably doesn't. You shouldn't. It's bare, (laughs) there. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you're right. It It is definitely one of those things that says, I think to your point, you guys have a bunch of those certs at the bottom of your page. If you do it scoped right and you're doing it with the right spirit and you bring security into it at the heart of it, that's one of those things where you have to go judge that. And that's why you have those questions to ask two sides of it is, sure, yeah. you've got a SOC 2. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about how the deep, actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, what's the breadth? What's right, the depth? Right. How ingrained Absolutely. is it in your
2: world? Yep. And that's key because just because you have a SOC 2 type 2, which we do, but that shouldn't be like your green pass card. No. Right. It's actually, what's interesting is it just has a selection of, control criteria. How you implement that in your organization efficacy-wise is right. different. Yep. Yeah. And so you have to look at that report and really understand what's yes. happening in there, why it's a certain way, because you can spot gaps. I know I can spot gaps oh, yeah. because yeah. it's like, nah, it's not really what you should, should be doing in that control. But the point is, is it's, it's a starting point. And I think it's a level of maturity shows care it's it's hard to do and obtain and expensive and so no different than the ISO as an international standard but I think the depth of which we need to do on this front as a entire industry is it needs to elevate more yeah but it's happening it's happening slower and I know we're gonna talk a little bit about how those shifts are happening
1: in the industry and even to Matt's point, the maturity is being forced to grow by all the learnings we're having. So speaking of maturity, and, and another thing you said earlier, good segue, I never thought I would say this, but I am excited to talk about insurance.
3: Yeah, there it is. brother, I, I can't pull my it. string. Who knew that would happen? <laughs> yeah, no way.
1: So uh, insurance, their cybersecurity maturity was probably bad f- five years ago because they launched new extortion insurance. Started paying a ton of ransom and lost money. And I think if you've paid attention to the news, the result is they've upped their maturity. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be to be insured, you'd get like five questions about yep. your security. Yeah.
3: Does he they're, fog a mirror? <gasps> yeah. Yep. And there you go,
1: here you go. <laughs> now they're doing the vendor validation, they're yep. doing active and passive tests against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the result is, you know, some people won't get insurance or it goes up because of it. So with that in mind, starting with Matt, what are your, your thoughts on security adoption driven by cybersecurity insurance uh, requirements, both the pros and cons maybe? Yeah,
3: yeah. So let's just put insurance what it is. It's organized gambling, right? Like at the end of the day, it's empirical organized gambling. And the challenge is, is that it's based on actuarial data, it's based on it real data about Matt's yeah. fat and has high blood pressure, dies X, right? <laughs> like it's a pretty good number <laughs> other than the truck, right? And so what you're seeing shifting is insurance companies like to maintain a profit ratio of 0.5. So if they receive a premium, they want to pay out less than 0.5 of that premium to all of the named claimants. It's usually the target. They're paying 2.5 and 3 and 3.5 and 4. Yep. And so they're losing handily. And the reason is they had bad data. This market is immature, and if I said I had Sentinel-1 or if I had Pando or if I had those things, the efficacy of the way I apply it, how well I do it, what my policies say, what my settings are, whether the features are turned on, all of that matters. And yet the insurance company's going, oh, they have that check? It just shows their ignorance, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way. So what's happened is the shot fired heard around the world two years ago. Uh, Travelers Insurance came out in June of 2021 and said, hey, we want you to have MFA on your switches. Now, I'm summarizing, but it was about 20 of those type things that nobody was doing, period, in the SMB and SME space, in my opinion. And so you get into this world where they had that, and then now come full circle, they've made that even larger. And last year, they sued a company for recension of a policy, which is different than subrogable risk, where they said, you lied. This is fraud. Give me my yep. $3 million back. I'll give you your 40000 back in premiums you've paid in the last two <laughs> years, and we'll call it a deal. And so that sets the stage that it's driving people to ask the questions. Yeah. We, as MSPs, have been sitting there begging at their door to talk about some of these things. And now they're going, hey, let's talk about MFA. I'm going to punch you in the throat and then we're going to talk. <laughs> I'm gonna, <right? laughs> so maybe I'm showing a little too much. Here, no. But... <laughs> you
2: know, it's absolutely. It's driving the conversation because you know organizations can't go and get the premium.
3: Yep. They're told, no, you're unsecurable, They can't insure you. Exactly. Right. They're yeah.
2: actually having to self-insure in many cases, because I can get this much, but I actually might need more above that. Yep. So you're either going out and getting multiple cyber insurance vendors to give you Locking those. Locking up
3: capital for self-insurance. Yeah. or yeah.
2: But the reality is, is that you know, that's, that's not going to scale. And so either you're just going to have to live with the risk as, a, as an organization. But here's, here's the flip side. We're living in a time where we're just starting in mm-hmm. this realm, and so there's lots of opportunity. And there's a lot of greed, I would say, as well, yes, though. Yes, there is. And so the challenge becomes is, you know, sometimes we're seeing security insurance vendors be prescriptive with the type of vendors that would
3: qualify. Which right? can go awry, right. too. Right? Yeah,
2: 100%. And so, you know, we gotta get to a level of, uh, you called it due care, across the industry, and I don't, see this maturing for some time yet agreed but we're at, we're at least moving in the right direction because the clients are asking for the technology now instead of us having to push it and push it and push it's it they're saying hey you know yeah. that thing you talked about just you know maybe every quarter for the last <laughs> three years okay we're going to do that now yeah, yeah. That's and it's a pretty good
0: opportunity too then it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, a to huge go out and sell it hundred percent but
1: even the non-greed i mean it's you, it's an opportunity to start a conversation to serve because yeah. it's, it's not a greed thing you, you talked about how f12 your mission is to help serve your customers be mm-hmm. a servant and it's they the end user surprised by these requirements and so having that conversation you can help them solve it so great opportunity yeah. for you but awesome for the end user that may not be able to do it
2: themselves and because you know i would say that we were struggling with this adoption because we knew it needed to happen, yeah. we actually just took the choice away. We just said, you know what? We're going to put it in you know, the program. Man, that's huge. You actually don't get a choice; you just get it. Yeah. And the choice is, you don't be a customer, right? Because that's the standard. That's right. the the level of due care that was required. Well,
3: and my doctor didn't go, "Hey, Matt, man, listen, ringing his hat, coming in, man, is it the blood pressure? Do I want to talk to him about his weight? Let's, you know, man, <laughs> I don't want to lose this cu- but, No, they're prescriptive. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I learned that early on, and I think you nodded on this, but. If you just tell people what they want a lot of times these customers are actually wanting to hear that especially if it solves a business need yeah. well insurance just created a business need mm-hmm. right and drives that yeah, yeah absolutely
0: so i've got a follow-up and i'm going to draw a quick parallel to car insurance so i just completed a move from seattle washington to austin texas when i went and re-registered my car and redid my insurance rates went up because it turns out people in texas are terrible at driving
3: true story <laughs> and
0: so it shows that like in car insurance like depending on where you're at there's different prices. There's different potentially requirements with your car as well, too. Um, and I think I want to get your thoughts on, like, do you think we're there in cyber insurance now? Do you think we're going to see different levels of prescriptive requirements based off the vertical, maybe MSPs or providers versus others? Or
4: what are your thoughts? Well, I think you already kind of see it in the MSP world, right? So we, we, are, we are held to a higher standard when it comes yep. to cybersecurity insurance, right? Um, and, and, and we feel it when we pay our premium. Um, and, and because we are targets, right? I mean, if they, if they can impact us, they can impact, you know, 1,500 clients. So mm-hmm. I, I think we already do see that. You know, what, some of the other interesting things that we've seen from the insurance market, too, is, you know, I think Chubb last week announced that, hey, you know, we'll, we'll cover you for a million dollar cybersecurity insurance. But if we see that a breach happened because you didn't address a vulnerability that was more than 30 days old, we're going to cut that because Part of that's on you now, or part of that's on the MSP. So, yeah, I, I definitely 100%. think. I, I don't know necessarily vertical wise. Like I said, we, we fill it from an MSP, but I can see, especially when it comes to you know, extortion, where PHI, PII, things like that, where they'll start taking a deeper
3: well, look at it. Well, you it. had Zurich come up, uh, had a of Zurich come up and say, cyber insurance might be just like floodplain insurance, where we cannot insure this, yes. and the government yeah. has to step yeah. in. And so, you have some interesting stuff, but it's going to keep changing. We're nowhere near the end of it. Yeah. Their, their knowledge set is lower than most others' knowledge set in that realm. But they're growing quick The insurance companies. If I would uh,
1: end the topic, I'd say the, the thing is, it does sound like it's an opportunity. What's the right way for like, the folks in the room to use this to, to help our, our partners specifically, since we really serve the MSP, but for their end users?
3: I have a thought. And, and what it comes down to in my mind is frameworks. I heard you talking about aligning to standards, aligning to uh, baselines, aligning to these things. You're starting to see MSPs go the same way doctors did. Um, Doctors in the early days could give me leeches or saw off my leg. Those were the two (laughs) treatment methodologies. But they grew. And as they grew, there was a tribal knowledge set, and doctors would talk to other doctors, and they'd go, man, this is kind of cool. We cut the leg off. Now if we use something hot, it'll cauterize it. This is cool. But as that continued to grow and we have thousands and thousands of things we treat, doctors had to have AMA and a global medical associations and the ability to remove licensure and the ability to license and, and so you see that we're going through that. And where that starts is that, that North Star. And frameworks um, have been around a long time, but they're basically prescriptive stuff. If anybody's just mystified by this, a framework says, stove hot, burn self, don't touch stove. Done. Got it. Writing it down. Right? It's, it's not that simple, but it is. And so when you look at this, assessing with a framework and using insurance to say, have you solved for the common things the insurance company is going to ask? Well, what are they asking? They're following CIS, they're following NIST, they're putting up questions that are in those things. So when you now say you have a map forward, and this goes back to the other point, you, know, you can have MSPs that will meet that into your greed conversation and have no policies, no procedures, not doing it. I mean, In fact, I would probably say it's close to 98% of MSPs don't have an incident response plan. They have zero internal policies that are followed for security metrics or tied to frameworks. And that is the conversation. So if I was a salesperson, I would say, how are you solving this as an MSP? And if that answer can be guided through thought leadership into follow a framework, pick one, whether it's NIST CSF or CIS, it says do these things. It yeah. says have off point. It says have a SIM. It says. And so you get these very prescriptive things, back to your point, where you can put it to a, a, a customer as that end customer of an MSP and say, I'm not making this stuff up. But before they were making it up, I was making it up as I went yeah. forward. I mean, genuinely, it was, I think this is bad. Let's put on malware protection. It, was, it wasn't coming from a place of, of structure. So... That's how I would use it is talk about the insurance. Everybody knows that every MSP is gonna commonly have the same feeling I do about this right now, I think. They're doing 30 forms a week or month or whatever it is, depending on their yeah. scale. So moving on, in the face of
0: this kind of weird economy we're in where it's not quite sure if it's in a recession or not, we still see this massive cyber skills shortage in the cybersecurity space. Uh, I think everyone understands the impact that it's had on a lot of organizations, but starting, Scott, with you, uh, since, specifically, you helped build and manage a SOC and a NOC at your a previous employer, uh, what effect do you think this has on MSSPs and can they use it as an opportunity to bring in more customers?
4: Sure, absolutely, if they'll make the investment, right? Um, the, the cybersecurity skill gap or, or people, I, that's, that's, that's where you spend your money. I mean, the technology and all those things are there, but you know, I, there's three, four, five million open positions right now for cybersecurity analysts or cybersecurity professionals. Um, I I think it's a a, a good way for an MSSP to get economies of scale, right? If you can go out and obtain that talent, bring it in, keep that talent happy, keep that talent on board, you don't have to, you know, your end clients don't have to worry about doing that. And, you know, it's funny because we worked with, you know, end clients a lot. And, you know, every one of them or or a very high percentage of them said, well, we're going to build this up. We just Mm -hmm. need you guys to come in (laughs) and and start it for us and kind of shepherd us for a little bit um how did that go how many of those were successful so 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 (laughs) (laughs) my very first client eight years ago nine years ago um they brought me into the room energy company they said hey meet tim tim is an it guy that we're going to put in charge of our sock he's going to build out a sock we need you to work with him for a year um, until he gets his team built they were sold two years ago It was still tim they were sold to a larger Enterprise, but we, we were we were their sock. They couldn't find the talent. They yeah. couldn't keep the talent. Yeah. We we understood that very very quickly. And so I think as an MSP wants to become an MSSP or things like that, there's a lot to to understand financially. I mean, you don't you don't run a sock with one analyst. You don't run it with three analysts. You run it with a team of analysts. Yeah, you know, I mean, you've got to have five of them just to cover 24/7, right? And then you've got your different levels. So. Um, An MSSP, if, if they're willing to make it, can, you know, or invest in it, they can really um, help their own clients out.
2: No, so. I, would, I would say, you know, yes, we have a shortage of workforce, but we have a willing audience that's willing to train. Oh, yeah. And so it's really the speed in which we can convert talent into that skill set to be productive in the security right. front. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I look at it the same thing that we have in the MSP. When we were starting out, we had to attract a different type of
3: IT person. Yeah. Right. Like, Proactive, root cause analysis yeah. conversations that wouldn't have existed.
2: And, and there's a level, you know, like we work at worked at MSPs or MSSPs. Like it's a different pace. <laughs> it's a different pace. Like if you want I got to phone that in a second. You know, you got a you got a nice easy go if you're an IT person inside an oh, organization yeah. in general. Like you know, in general, I just think the pace is different, but the experience is turned up to 11. Yeah. And so as a result, you you get to see a lot more that much quicker. No different than being on a sock, not in a sock on a specific okay. business, but in a and MSSP, where you see a lot of different, <clears throat> different aspects. That's how you get some institutional knowledge that you would not get, because it's all about the amount of experience you get and how you then take that into you know, the threat research and the, 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 the tech techniques that are occurring out in the wild so that you can be more effective at your job. So I think there's a captive audience. I know I personally surveyed my own internal team of who's interested in That's security, cool. and I was like, I'll get maybe a couple.
4: 50% yeah, or, yeah.
2: I, I had dozens of people that were like no I'm interested and like not even the technicians like salespeople and like administrative staff and I was like okay this is good there's a there's a willing audience they just need the skill set
3: yeah quick story time um, I would say I was actually interviewing a guy who was the head of our pro services team at the time It was like 2014 or so and this guy comes in with his resume And I've said these same things. You just validated me right here, bro. And so I said these same things. He comes in and he's talking about he did two 2 v migrations, did four VM creations, had done an email migration. Been there 10 years. I said, bro, that's my Thursday. I just want to make sure you're prepared for this pace of play. And it's not a joke. And the experience you can create in an MSP is so diverse and so sharp from that. And that pace of play expectation that I've always said if, if I see this normalization of technology making it to where we'll have to convert a lot of plate spinning technicians to other value, they're a prime candidate to train right into these roles and drive these things.
1: So while we're talking about this, I'm not going to ask this to you because you were one of the, Cerberus actually built a very successful SOC and could do that. But you mentioned, Matt, that a lot of MSPs fail, or I think both of you, at that capital investment. So one of the things, WatchGuard, we've always provided a platform that tries to help our, our partners, our MSP specifically, offer their own services. But as we start to have services of our own, what do you think is the channel appetite? And especially you too, Calvin, because I know you're considering this move right now. Uh, what do you feel about vendors helping those that don't want to do the investment by providing yeah. SOC as a service, which we might call OpenXDR as a service or whatever? Yeah,
3: you're normalizing data sets already where it's easier and easier. Everybody has Azure AD. Everybody has X. Everybody has X. So you're getting to where a scalability of that can be delivered really well. And I think what you get, and I'm not going to hurt anybody's feelings on MSSPs, but I stood on a stage and said, MSP and MSSP are merging. There is is no separation at the end of this. But what I do believe is the reason for that is an MSSP cannot protect in a vacuum, not knowing what the data's sensitivity is, the cost, how it's used, what it touches. But in the same breath, MSPs can't touch the data and not be able to secure it. So we just talked about the challenge of raising up those assets and resources. What I see happening in my mind is the vendors that can bring the the human capital and the ability to normalize data sets and make very large actionable decisions for people, tied with that MSP having a, I'd still call them a SOC if I was running an MSP, I'd have a SOC, but their job would really be the bridge between an external resource for their capabilities and an internal set of how the hell I'm going to solve this. So the vendor is right? a scaling yeah, factor it's a scale on their factor. internal. I, I, I believed in that heavily. I, I was one of the early uh, SOC as a service uh, consumers with, with our product. And you talked about, you guys have a couple of different ones you've been through. So, uh, yeah, I think that short story, I think that's probably one of the largest opportunities um, is, for, is for large vendors, ISVs and SIs that can do that type of force multiplication down, even if it's a simple service, like I'm only gonna monitor Office 365, or I'm only going to, you could see that be a very valuable thing that helps scale, in my opinion. Yeah,
2: you know, I look at the MSP community and as we've we've gone through these cycles, right? And those cycles being, you know, we went from, you know, VAR based, you know, Mm -hmm. time and materials, profit when the client's in pain, to now this inclusive as a service model and, and as that continues to expand, the reality is, is that it's getting easier to do more with less people. Yep. Like commoditization. It is happening, and so the value of the MSP is dwindling. And as Stop we start a notebook, man. Yeah, <laughs> as we start to see a lot of these, these things happening, those organizations are going to have to pivot. They're going to have to pivot to the next thing. And I'm not saying you, know, you have to j- jump off and just do the thing. What I'm saying is You have to start moving in that direction and there's a number of ways you can do that i think the the shortcut is leaning into partners that are standing up these services absolutely Um, yes you can do it the hard way and do it yourself but i think in general is what's going to provide the most value to your clients and you stay relevant to your clients fantastic
0: yeah so i guess we've already had quite a few hot takes from uh (laughs) From you, Matt. So another hot take that sure. I'd like to get from you, and this is a totally loaded question. Uh, what is your hot take on zero trust? Is it really a new concept? Uh, do you think there's any major <laughs> challenges with fully adopting this model?
3: I'm glad you chuckled. Yeah. <laughs> so um, John Kindervog wrote Zero Trust book in 2010. So we're 12 years past that point. And Zero Trust, CTNA, the concepts, the tenets, and the pillars of that. Have been under exploration of DoD and earlier researchers for. Before. I'll tell myself I'm actually writing the test for CSA ZTNA architecture, so this is kind of my jam. But no, it's not a new concept. It's this point that we. And I think somebody said this well, like MSPs. We did this and we became holistic. I don't think we knew what holistic meant at that time, as we made that conversion, to not understanding all of these other risks. But zero trust is at its premise, saying instead of me trusting and then verifying, or trust but verify. I would rather not trust until I've verified. And it's this concept of saying, when you roll out a firewall, how many of your MSPs actually roll out a firewall with blocking all rules first and only allowing what they need? Almost none. This guy. But almost <laughs> none. <laughs> and That's and why it's hard here. to do. And it's hard to do well. And it's one of those things where shifting that paradigm to be able to say, I want to know not only is this Matt, is Matt coming from the right device? Yeah. Is that device protected, securable, and available where I can make the analytics available and make a decision? Like, how am I gonna have a stock as a service do what they do if I can't even be efficacious right. in getting everything on? So you get into this world where zero trust network architecture, I think, is absolutely an old concept that is now coming to fruition from our maturity. Um, even in SME and SMB and mid-market, you, to your point, you got a guy or a gal that does very little and yeah. has very little understanding of these concepts. And there's so many
2: implementations of zero trust. Right. And I think it's right. important to recognize this is, this is the buzzword. It is right. It's Gartner today. <laughs> XDR.
3: <laughs> yeah, so it's XDR from two years ago. Yeah, hundred percent.
2: Right? And yeah. so the challenge becomes is like, what really is it, and how do you adopt it in a meaningful way? Yeah. Because there's a lot of implementations of it, and you know, you know, plug here. We use EPDR and the zero trust. But when we looked at the technology, it wasn't just the buzzword. It was how does it do it, and the fact that you know, you leaned into. Machine learning technology and and the ability then have analysts that were actually checking it. Like I can run a program that I've never ran before, and like the next day, like it didn't work today. The next day it works. Yeah. Because someone somewhere has decided that that is actually okay to run. Now the challenge is going to be is there's there's many domains. Right. Yep. Yep. Of zero trust, right? You have your your firewall you have your endpoint you have your network layer you have your cloud layer everything in between and and now you have all these disconnected technologies yep and so you need this kind of holistic model that can actually say well who are you where where are you and what are you doing within the network and give you a basically a least privilege to do what you need to do within that after verification and we're at the infancy here right
1: it it like and that's the opportunity it needs to be simplified
4: right? yeah. From, that From holistic. USB. (laughs) Some sort of platform that's unified
1: Mm. security. Yeah, yeah, these things. So we want to move on to another section, but before we do, me and Mark are known for really threat landscape stuff. We're passionate about security, and we really pay attention to what happens. Mm. But this is a true speed round, so I'm going to limit you to one
3: sentence. I think that's pointed at me. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Oh, by (laughs) the way, the other
1: thing, audience, we're trying to save a good 20 to 30 minutes for questions because you have amazing people up here so think of your questions now but I don't just want to know what me and Mark talk about the threat landscape really whether it really is the coolest threat what are the actual threats end users are coming to you whether it be a technical threat a business threat what in the threat landscape is what really drives people to come look for your services
2: for security
1: oh gosh you know I wish it
2: was super interesting and cool um, it's not. It's still the same things because it's the stuff that people are clicking on.
3: It's, BECs, ransomware. Yeah, it's yeah. business
2: email compromise. That's still the number yeah. one attack factor. Yep. Now, like there's definitely sophisticated attacks, but in general, this is like a, you know, cast the wide net and see what you get. And yep. so, the challenge is, is that we still have to solve for the basics before yeah. we get to the real good stuff that's yeah. exciting. Well, I think it's I exciting. I mean, how many compromises are a simple fish yeah. and
1: then using a credential to becoming. coming? That's the way I'd but, go about it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's easy. Yeah. Yep. How about you, Matt?
3: So I'll take a different tack. I sat down with CISA's, Depar- uh, Homeland Security, CISA's uh, cybersecurity director in Region 7 the other day, and they're starting to talk about the convergence of the it surface area, yeah. right? And so now you're starting to see if ransomware payments are going down, if you look at Coveware's annual report, they actually said ransomware Pause payments you to, are going for down. for two seconds. Everyone
1: knows IoT. OT is operational technology. Yeah. So think of it, industrial, manufacturing. Well, they've
3: just redefined it. i well, have so they go for it. There. there we go. 800, <laughs> God, don't quote me. Look it up. 832 <laughs> or 52? Google. I suck. Okay. <laughs> but they have just redefined OT to say if it moves something in the human space and in the physical world it is now OT. And so, you, I mean, a little summative. But essentially, it now says... What if I was a threat actor that was making ransomware and they stopped paying the ransom? You know what? What if I can do their access control systems and lock yeah. them out of the building while simultaneously turning the, power, the heat way up? Or you even saw a Saudi pipeline try to be take that, uh, taken oh, out yeah, last, last year from that. So mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing the, the extension of not even doing the basics turn into, if you don't pay me, I'm going to keep getting you to pay me in a different way. Right. Yeah. And so it's that creativity that if, if I was yeah. living on that world and I was in, I was in that business, I'm going to be creative. When you change, I'm going to change. And so you have this world where that's probably my biggest threat in the next couple of years. You'll see big things. Um, It it comes because these threat actors watch YouTube. It's probably his channel, actually. (laughs) So if you're watching, (laughs) we're sorry. Um, But look at the, the, you talked about the supply chain attacks. They got to watch the Kaseya event happen and have millions of people under that ransomware event. Now, as that diminishes, they still understand the juice of getting into these organizations and doing that. And we usually put our technology right next to that OT. That HVAC vendor comes in, plugs into the switch, and they're good. And maybe you're good and you're segmenting it. Maybe you have some zero trust or SDP principles or software-defined perimeter principles, but likely not. So uh, my big fear, if I'm putting a stamp on it, is an OT-type oh, extensibility playing out that more and more. That sounds
1: terrifying. That was the longest sentence ever, too. By oh, I'm yeah. a, that <laughs> was, it was a run-on sentence. So <laughs> to make things worse, <laughs> I'm going to add to my time rule. It's going to trickle down to consumers. Yes. Well, we, okay. have, we unlock our cars with our mobile phone now. My yeah. friend yeah. Alyssa Knight's doing a lot of
3: work on that. Darn right. That. Yeah.
1: Imagine waking up in the morning, trying to go to work, be in time for a meeting, and you get this little message you can only see because you can't open or your door. Or running the car in the garage can yeah.
3: yeah. negative implications. Oh, that would be very bad. I didn't think about that at first. So if this yeah, comes out that's uh, not me. But,
4: New uh, research uh, paper for yes. Matt. Yeah. How, How about you, Scott? Scott? Um, really what Calvin was talking about, you know, just, just the simple ones the, the business email compromises, the extortionware, yeah. you know. We really, you know, at least from our sock's perspective, we we would still see the ransomware you know, every once in a while, but really it was the extortionware, right? It, it was the the exfiltration of data and, you know, to Matt's point, that keeps paying. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got your data, and I'm going to come back at you every six months and tell you I still have your data. So, uh, extortionware, insider uh, threats, things like that. Is Big time. I'm yeah. so
1: sick of ransomware, but as long as it keeps working, you know the, tool, it's still the tools. The tools are getting better, right? Yeah. I mean, the
3: yeah. tools
4: are getting better to protect against that, yeah. but
1: it's, it's still it's, growing. Most yeah.
3: vendors don't have a vulnerability disclosure program. Lockbit has a paid yes, they vulnerability disclosure program. They pay a million dollars if you find a bug up to a million dollars. in their software. Yep. Their yep. ransomware.
1: But you were just telling me that they're starting to actually target companies by going to an actual employee and saying, yep. "We're going yep. to ransom your company. Right. But Help us, I'll, and we'll give, give you, you money." Yep. Yeah,
3: give yeah. And you find one disgruntled employee, and it's you, not all you, that. You it's broken access at, control. One domain admin that's
4: not making enough money a year, right?
2: Gosh, let's let's be honest here there's probably a level where an, a, a person would do something like that, but like when you're throwing a million dollars around, it gets easier. Like a 20-year-old? Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's yeah. A, that's yeah.
2: a quick, slippery slope. Yeah.
1: So we won't start the conversation, but we need insider threat protection too, I guess. 100%. Yeah. That would be 100%. a long <laughs> long conversation. Mark yeah. and I are going to be worried when we go back to the headquarters. To <laughs> I'm already water. keeping an eye on Corey. It's okay. We yeah. trust so, <laughs> so
0: Next, we want to move on, though, and talk to you about what you look for when you're selecting a vendor or a partner or a service and how you differentiate them in the market. Mm. Uh, so in other words, like how do we as a vendor stand out? And so we'll start again with Matt because uh, you know he has a lot to say. Yeah, uh, thank you.
3: <laughs> i pop if I hold my breath, so <laughs> not good.
0: Um, so there's a movement in the MSP space, I feel like, uh, where there's this going from, you know, the best in breed individual services approach to yeah. really consolidating under a single Maybe you might call it a unified security platform.
3: Glad you didn't say single pane of glass. Yes, exactly.
0: Um, and I wanted to talk, get your brain on this, on like yeah. what the benefits are of that.
3: Anybody heard of the great ch- uh, firewall of China? The way they oppress data in and out. It's very, very effective. It's like in the 98.5% range. Who thinks that's one tool? It's not. It's actually two 70 or so percent solutions put together to be a 100% solution. And my point in saying that is, it's not always best in class. It's how well I use it. Yeah. If I've got crappy hockey skates, but I'm going to beat you into the wall every time, I'm still probably going to win, right? And you might have better skates. They're just going to look funny on the ground. So, but the, the, the point is, is, as you think about this, what, what, what MSPs are doing is realizing that efficacy and efficiency typically have more value from a scalability and actually protecting the basics than the flashiest amazing thing I have to manage in a vacuum for 100 things. And so they either have to write things together in a very complex seam rules or those type of things to bring everything contextually together and be valuable, or when you're creating that product, if you're the ISV or the vendor creating that, you already do that with your products. You're already making the same data field mean the same thing. Matt's represented as Matt the right way. My device is my device the right way. And you start getting contextual anchors that you can create in that and get efficiencies of scale by not the best products in the world. And, and that's kind of a foreign concept because we're so conditioned to buy the best. Right. Yeah. Um, and I bet you've had tons of experience with that. Yes, yeah. No, I,
4: I actually heard the term "good enough security" from a couple of CISOs this past year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Evan Franson. You know, you know, Microsoft's <laughs> not the best, but is it good enough? Right. And so we are definitely seeing a shift in that direction.
2: And what I would say is, um, I can't sleep at night knowing it's only one protecting a collection of clients. So to me, I like a layered security approach. Sure. It's it's made mandatory and that way there's enough overlap to your analogy on the uh you know the, the great wall, firewall of china and the reality is is that you want multiple layers now one vendor that probably gives you a lot of that like a, a full kind of contextual threat landscape across multiple different domains is good for operational efficacy it's good because you can train within that but you want another layer just to give you another view. Yeah. And I'll probably take that approach for the rest of my life, simply because I know when that one vendor gets it wrong, I don't have a parachute. I don't have another one watching yeah. the, the, you know, yeah. the backside. So.
3: And that comes back to those domains. And that comes back to being purposeful in what you're trying to do with those tools and how you're layering them. And I think to your point, when you centralize on one vendor, you have to be better at that front-end selection process 100%. because you have a much larger yep. blast radius if it yeah. goes poorly. Right? That's right. Um, and, and everybody gets this wrong. I, I'll just take my two seconds. You're going to throw me off if you want. But no, you gonna- know, everybody talks about protection. If you look at the NIST framework, it's identify my crap, protect it, and then there's three-fifths after those two. That's detect the explosion, detect the bad guy, detect the action, respond, right? be able to do something about it, and recover and get back to business operations. That's three-fifths. And yeah. yet all we talk about is protection. And so when you talk the about security, doesn't end yeah, at the right. infiltration. Yeah. Yeah. it's how well you can limit it. If I can make it to where I used to say this, we had five different states. We had all these different offices and, and humans. And I said, listen, if, if a guy or gal is compromised in Dallas, I want the six clients that they were working on suing me. That's it. I don't need the right. other 700 suing yeah. me. And that comes to that blast radius reduction from principles of least privilege and those type of things. But that's where when you're selecting one vendor to do it at all, you need to make sure they really have a healthy understanding of that in their own world of the product segmentation, but also silo, but also bringing it together in one space so that you can have multiple points of failure as well. Maybe a little deep.
1: So let me ask a follow-up, and I'll start with you, Calvin, because I think uh, you'd be great at this. uh, Obviously, I think our unified security platform, that's really what we're doing. But we're not the only one. People consolidate. So as both a technical leader, but you also (laughs) have a great business leader ahead, what do you look for? If you're going to consolidate in a vendor, what are some we're propeller heads, we like technical, but what are some of the business level too? What are you looking for to
2: increase your margin, save you time in this unified platform? Yes, so you know, really when we're looking to consolidate vendors, it, it's, I think what's important is that's the, the value. That's the value that we get within that. Now, you know, price to value is one aspect. The features and benefits is the other component and the validation of that because if you can now take multiple products and put them together, that should give us a better level of enriched data yep. to work off of. And if we can't do that, then there's no real point. We might as well just stay separate. But as that enrichment comes full circle, we can lean into that as more value. And more value means we can go sell that for something a bit more. I I
3: would say though or more efficiently with higher profit margins exactly yeah. I, I get
2: more people doing one thing that knows one vendor that I can train on one thing not get two certifications on yep. two tutor etc etc the point being is that you know your people are your highest cost in any organization and so you want to make them as deadly efficient as possible and so not having you know three different vendors doing the same thing within a, an ecosystem is it's important it doesn't make sense everywhere but it, it does help with business profitability yeah. because you can get more out of those individuals.
3: And it's easier to change it all as you're doing it yeah. through your cycle that you pointed out. Yeah. Your Great,
2: Great. Oh, yeah, so what was that? Threat
0: intelligence. Your threat intelligence. Uh, so, <laughs> so threat intelligence, it's a pretty big topic in the security industry. It's a really important tool to help feed our ability to catch and respond to threats. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many types of it in many places, though. And so I guess Calvin, starting with you, um, how does XDRs promise? So within our own environment here, uh, to consolidate threat intelligence and correlation, play into your business, and can it help differentiate?
2: Yeah, 100. You know, I, when I was when I was looking at um, you know all the different products that we needed to monitor. I mean, like we had the edge. We had like you know the the spot. After the edge and the DMZ, and do I need IPS? Do I need I? Now Starbucks. Do I? Yeah, <laughs> and do I need NDR on that? And um, what about the endpoints? And how about what happens when they're out of the office, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So we got this whole like collection of things that are often disconnected and so you you know, wire them all together through a, a seam product and yep. and then a sore product to automate it because you can't have people looking at it 24 7 and making educated decisions and a speed of response that's gonna actually make sense and you know that's
3: and then how what, you tune it matters and your failure like, yeah,
2: and then your run books and etc etc and this is why it's complicated and this yep. is why the level of this service coming through an XDR is so important and and why I think, you know, humans get us so far. And, you know, all of that means is that we can work smarter, but we gotta take a, a different approach. And and this is what I love is like, you know, all the people that went and built all these socks did a lot of, you know, groundwork for everyone else. Yeah. Forced
3: those Sims to be better. Yeah. those, yeah, yeah 100%. And,
2: and, and so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I feel lucky because now I get to just embrace like, the next generation of these products that are coming to market now that have such enriched data that we can lean into and help protect our clients yeah. and the price point is coming down to something that's more palatable for the small to medium enterprises and i think this is you know this is the biggest segment of the market in terms of the total amount of people that are in that market you know and the gdp too you know enterprise can pay for it but now it's come down to a commoditized approach where i think is going to really allow it to get some steam, like some
3: real steam yeah. in the market. And, and there's stuff behind that, right? In the sense that when I talk about normalizing data, I just mean, let's look at this simple thing. I'm going to protect an application running on a server. Is it server 2008, 8R2, 12, 12R2, 16, 19, 20, which flavor? What's the AD function level? What about the virtualization? Is it underlying VMware? Is it you have all these things? But now if I have Azure AD, it's just graph. And it's the same graph API for every single human, same device, same. And I'm not saying that's the only answer, but back to your point of commoditization and the MSP's value, I used to call a lot of our technicians plate spinners. Mm -hmm. And I was told not to say that inside of our organization. I said, why? And he said, well, all of the plate spinners, Matt. I get it. (laughs) But but the point is you're seeing that become commoditized, and it's also normalizing and enriching the data by its own statement of having it only be this many variables. Mm -hmm. Henry Ford said, I don't care what color you have it in as long as it's black. Right? And that was that normalization that allowed scale and business efficiencies. We're seeing the same cycles play out in technology. Um, and so as you start thinking about threat landscape and threat intelligence, there's a real problem with threat intelligence. Threat intelligence is ephemeral. If I know something today, there's a good majority of that not being valuable tomorrow. So you have to have people that can take that and understand it and matriculate it and deal with it and, and research and then make those playbooks and make those extensibilities. But um, I would say threat intelligence and being able to scale it to more stuff Right? If I use single sign on to sign in from an Octo or an Azure AD into all of my applications and I bring that all back with the same threat intelligence, I'm now protecting all of these applications I never could have before mm-hmm. with the ability to say, no, Matt can't sign in right now. So anyways, a little over over the sentence. Oh,
1: fantastic. <laughs> Anything to add, Scott? Or to... <laughs> we got They're it. We're good, yep. <laughs> Approval. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to wrap it up with, so at the end of the day, we really... The customers, you sir, or you guys, were all of our customers. Yeah, we want our end users to be protected, but we made a, you know, a bet that MSPs, that's how our customers are buying security. At Pax8, you serve the channel that's gonna deliver security to customers. When you worked in NOC, you know you were giving services to them. As a vendor, how do we make sure to continue to delight you and make sure you do business with your us? your topic.
2: Yeah, well, so. I would say it's so important to reach out, listen to vendors in general or you know, partners, partners rather. Yeah, we're here at this, yeah. <laughs> I was with you. Yeah, there we go. So, but it's important to listen to partners and what they need. And I think you know, no product's going to be perfect. But Enriching that product with knowledge that's feet on the street, that people are dealing with, that are selling the product, that sees the weakness, that use the product day in and day out, that says, if we just did this differently, it would mean I'd have to spend six less clicks doing that thing. Those are the types of conversations that matter. But, you know, as as we look at all of this, it's about driving a different conversation. It's about creating products and services that and allow these businesses to stay safe and secure. As the market, the industry, the, the landscape's changing around us, you know, we don't have a great foundation and you know the shifting tides of cybersecurity insurance and you know the, the latest attack vector that comes out. We have to establish the framework, the groundwork, and we have to get people thinking in a different way. Not the old way, a new way so that we can help continue to drive the adoption towards what we know. And you know what? In another five years, there'll be something else. Yep, sure. but that's job security, and we'll pivot, <laughs> and it's gonna be awesome. And uh, I think you know, as WatchGuard, as I look at what, what they already do for us, what you already embrace, and you drive back into the partner community, is keep doing the things. Do it faster, do it louder. Um, you stay guys humble? Got, yeah, stay yeah. humble. Of course, and and I would say keep that passion. Yeah. The passion is so important, and I think if you can keep that in the people that can go and represent what you guys have accomplished here, you'll have a great thing.
1: Do we have passionate watch card? Yeah.
4: Yeah. 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 Any, any follow Well, I, I mean, I'm sitting on this side of the table now. Oh, okay. Right. So, <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> Here's what you I would, would say. Team Mission Red, <laughs> you have a
3: massively maturing consumer. I have a theory that I call the middle theory that just says products and capitalism drive you to be basically just above the maturity of your consuming entity and not much more. It doesn't make sense to make the best tennis record if nobody cares. It doesn't make sense, right? So you get this world where as you have this rapidly maturing MSP, five, six years ago when you and I are sitting on packs together in the very beginning, we're the only idiots screaming some of this stuff. Now there's hundreds of idiots like me Right? And so you have this world where they're starting to demand more, ask to see your SOC 2 and read it, ask to have understandings where you're going. And I'll even put it in my context. Dave doesn't look like he has anything heavy right there, so we're okay on that cell phone. But you know, when I was going through this, I was asking for a rewrite of the off-platform. I was saying it wasn't good enough. It wasn't meeting my needs. I needed these things, but I'm the only idiot screaming it. Yeah. And so how do you stay with that maturity level if you believe there's a renaissance in cybersecurity that's happening? You start listening more to those front lines to start saying... Here's how I'm going to be there in two years. Here's how I'm going to be there. So that you get that product maturity on the same scale of growth that your customers yeah. are. In cybersecurity, we've never been required to mature this fast, ever. If you look at your vendor validation, I'm doing more. I'm now starting to ask ASVS, which is Application Security Verification Standard from OWASP, because I want to know how risky the app is. I want to yeah. know. And if you can't meet those demands, you're going to continue to alienate people that literally check you off the list because you don't meet that need. He's got a list, and he says, oh, no SOC2. We don't even have to talk. We're good. And as you start seeing that play out, if you're not able to matriculate that throughout your organization and make that Delta to be a highly motive and flexible company that can change and grow and mature, you'll get lost and you'll stay behind and capitalism doesn't reward that typically. So.
1: That is awesome. To summarize, I, I, I think of connections and a great leader once told me, Prakash Panjwani. Brilliant, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: When, hadn't even kicked me out of any of these. <laughs> when people come to you
1: with questions and stuff, a great leaders will listen and instead of immediately providing answers, ask questions. Listen to understand, not listen to respond, right? So, such an easy concept that we can all can perfect. So
0: that is all of the softballs from Corey and I. Uh, So before we move on though, first off, thank you for answering all of our questions, giving a lot of really good insights from your different viewpoints. It's been fantastic. Uh, And now though, we want to open it up to questions from
4: everyone else in here. Oh, Oh, here. here we go, we got one. Uh, first of all, thanks for a very interesting, uh, interesting session. We just uh, presented our, uh, our insights on what we think the threats are going to be for 2023, December last year. But what is your vision on that? What, are you, what do you think the most important threats for next year are going to be? I,
3: I think, you know, candidly, I think you'll see a ton of supply chain vulnerabilities exposed this year. If I was going to make my endeavor this year to make money being a bad guy, I would not solve it with bug bounties. I would solve it by finding those and destroying people with them. So I, I think you're gonna have more and more of that evidence of the lack of a mature security program playing out in yeah. large-scale vendors. That's just my first page. But then also, the, the, the same old oldies are on the record, right? Uh, it's gonna play the ransomware in BECs and those extensibilities uh, constantly. And cool. other
2: thoughts? I would say IoT. Uh, fun- yeah, totally. Functionally, you know, you know the consumerism of making technology accessible is prolific. I mean, like, it's in everyone's lives. Yeah. And the challenge is, is that it does not take a security first approach. It simply doesn't. And this is slowly creeping into organizations. Like, it's very useful at
3: home. Yeah. But my I, IP toaster is dope. I can press a button, toast goes down. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I know. I'm kidding. I don't have an IP toaster. Why?
2: But you, you think about you know, now that's, that uh, type of infrastructure has made its way into the business. And the OT yes, of that business Exactly, well. and so it is ripe for attack. I'm gonna use this question for a quick follow-up
1: because I absolutely agree with all of what you said. But the one surprising thing, the biggest IoT that's most ubiquitous are mobile phones. Yeah. And we all know in theory, they can be horrible threat vectors we haven't seen any huge malware. What, what are your thoughts on mobile security threats, mobile device, smartphones, yeah. tablets?
3: Well, you have two things coming together there, right? Yeah. You have most companies don't want to pay for a cell phone for every single human. And so what they do is in some forms try to attempt to enclave the data, or maybe they ignore it completely, right? Yeah. And, and so you know, a lot of the things that I think you'd see in that is when you see a very central I am or identity first approach, right? That's based on usually OAuth. Uh, I'm sorry for that, it's open authentication. But, um, but basically, um, OAuth is a token. Once I have that token, I can use it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so those tokens are now um, going to be under a lot of scrutiny and attack on the mobile devices because they're already on a device where there is no scrutiny on the device. They're allowing it to connect into their world. And if we've already said business email compromises are the way that you can make the fastest money, I don't need a really privileged access, I just need mail. Yeah, and so right. I, I would say you're gonna see a lot of extraction. A lot of, a lot of that yeah. is like
0: multi-factor authentication is solved a pretty big problem of stolen credentials, right, uh, but, but it does not solve, solve yep. the authentication problem as a whole. Correct. Right?
3: Yeah. And I can yeah. steal that token after you've MFA'd yep. and replay it. And that comes down to settings. That's that simple. I can set a setting that says that token's not persistent in this Active Directory AAD environment. But that goes back to MSPs not having those capabilities knowledge set or, or scalability. And as they do that and start making that restriction, you can see that as this cat and mouse game, right? OAuth token theft? Stop. OAuth token theft. Still OAuth token theft? FIDO2 protocol, right? You start getting into these things that, that are always trying to solve it and that means we have to keep learning. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be the basics reapplied with new methods of, gap, of grabbing it. Cool,
0: a question over there.
3: Hi there, so in uh, 2023, are there any particular vertical sectors that you think will be the main target of attacks going forward? Yeah, education, public sector. Um, I think depending on the actor, you will start seeing more and more attacks on infrastructure as an economical weakening tactic. Um, and I think you'll start seeing people poke at those infrastructures, right? We, we've had these attacks on these public infrastructures. Yeah. I mean, the Tampa Water District in Florida was hit uh, and they were poisoning the water physically by right. dumping more, yeah. more chemicals in. It was a freaking Linksys router, y'all. Let's just put this in perspective, <laughs> right? Like, so the attack surface met with, if I'm a bad guy and I only want to make money, I'm gonna do it the best way possible.
0: Uh, any other thoughts? Otherwise, pitch it to somebody. All right. Um. If you could pick an
1: evolution for modern channel security relationships, if you could help us modernize
2: our channel relationships, what would you like to see?
3: Ooh. I got an idea, but I'm not going to go first this time. I mean, as I did. Go <laughs> you did. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I feel like I gave a, a bit of a roadmap uh, earlier, but what I would say is it, it's rhythm. And the challenge that I always find is, like, with change in any organization, you lose the institutional knowledge. And so organization, this is not a person problem. This is an organizational problem. This is where, you know, if you've created a a methodology, a routine of what that looks like, it's how to get the best possible relationship with a partner. And you can't do that if you're always changing the people. People have their own flavor and their flair and... It's actually just even one of our challenges that we've seen is as we've changed account management of our own mm-hmm. team, we see that the, the client's- Things
3: lost. Yeah, you lose institutional yeah.
2: knowledge and the, the connection with the client. And you know I, I think this is just, it becomes more maybe procedural or you document it or you just need to, a way to pass that information on so it, it lives on, pass a relationship and I, I think a modern channel engagement or a modern relationship with account management is something that uh, that we still haven't cracked yet and i know we struggle with it as an organization and so we need to come up with a better way of making sure that there's consistency because otherwise you lose the opportunity you lose the ability because that becomes a changing trigger in an organization that could then lead to disruption of that relationship Alternatively, I, we can just follow the Corey model and just, <laughs> no one ever leaves. You're oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. been there
3: like 24 years or something. That's you know? right. So i like, <laughs> so uh, tackle this a little differently. I'm actually um, taking on a new project as if I don't have enough of those. But, you know, what is the channel? Who is your buying persona? What do they need? What's different about them globally? What's different in Europe from here? You have oh, a yeah. VAR centrism that might be different than our definition of MSP. And now you go to Australia and you have a different definition and you have – And then on top of that, you have system integrators, ISVs, you have MSPs, you have people that are struggling being in a different entity or something new. And so I think the biggest thing I could give as advice is try to ask those questions and make those touch points with the intention to understand to try to stay up with those deltas and those buying partners. I know many MSPs that have converted from SMB-focused direct everything to commit and managing SMEs and doing those. kinds. And even your delta, I would imagine, over the last X years. So, for me, it's about understanding there's so much change going on, and I'll take a second to say why. In our industry, in the channel, and in, and in this space, private has started getting their greed or fear involved. Yep. And they've said, hey, if you can buy somebody a million in revenue, and we'll pay you one times revenue or maybe a couple times EBITDA, but as soon as you become 10 million in revenue, you're now 12 times EBITDA, which means every time I buy somebody, they're worth four times what they're worth. I'm being a little facetious. Than what they would have been and so this massive influx in capital that's changing the channel significantly so modern i think is never defined it's always a tangential point of a changing circle in a line uh, in <laughs> my mind so. i uh failed
1: calculus separately.
3: yeah that me too good. hey mark i got
4: one over here mark
1: yeah where are we at
4: there we go hey hi uh,
2: i wanted to return to the basic of security if you agree uh, do you think that this new generation of the chatbot like uh, chat gpt
3: I've done bad things with ChatGPT. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit.
2: (laughs) Can have, uh, uh, beside the privacy problems, uh, uh, security problems for the company. Maybe convincing people to install the ransomware or uh,
3: better letters. Yeah. yeah.
1: Automation of phishing.
3: I, I, not to get off of the topic you asked, and I'm "I'm sorry, y'all. Don't buy drinks tonight. (laughs) <laughs> but not to get off that topic, ChatGPT and the change in understanding AI or as it's defined in machine learning and all these things that are coming, these have been on the roadmap. Same as quantum, same as everything. And just like everything, it's going to continue to change. To your immediacy, I actually have been doing a study on ChatGPT where I am trying to get it to write me the best ransomware letters and the best BEC emails. Um, and, and I'm trying to do it without triggering their flags. So I've actually been doing that. The amount of human English linguistics that need to go into that would have precluded the ability for them just to already do the damn letter. And so I think you have this challenge of the manipulation of the input requires the knowledge of how that's going to react. And that's, that's tough. So we're not there yet. My, my brother is an AI scientist, much smarter than me. But he explains that the only reason AI knows that's a magazine bin is because I call it that. It's just a bin with magazines in it. And so you have these contextual gaps and things. But it is going to help at least normalize this conversation with a little bit of people going, oh my God, is ChatGPT going to end me? You know what? Let's talk about what a defined security program looks like. This right. is a, it's yep. an opportunity today. So, I, I think later it's a massive. Threat. Can I contrary
1: you a little? I sure. agree with what you say. We're not there yet. But what about adversarial machine learning? What about the, when the threat actor stops using oh, human yeah. capital and it's machine fighting machine and yeah. Skynet? And happens. they make somebody else they
3: yep. compromise pay for the compute resources to do <laughs> there it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it'll so get there. I, I actually
2: wanted to address what you were just saying. That was what my question was going to oh, be sorry. about. So I don't know if you've been
0: looking or doing any research on evil model, but actually you, embedding malware deep within yeah. deep learning and neural networks, and it's basically undetectable.
3: Chris Roberts did this a long time ago with, let's call move MovePoint. I won't call them anything else, but they're an email security (laughs) vendor. And he manipulated the AI ahead of time. He also did it with what he calls Strike. I can say it that way because he's published it. But you can manipulate those machine learning models because they are quite simplistic. They're deterministic. And as long as you understand the way you're going to make that deterministic outcome, you can manipulate it to do things it wasn't expected to do. And if you bring it all the way back, like, we made cars that blew up. We had a Pinto and a Fire Arrow, right? The Fiero. And at some point, you had fire testing capabilities and maturity and growth. We're not where we could protect a car today in cybersecurity. We don't have any of that endemic capabilities. And so that means that the ep- approach and efficacy of these things are not thought of as the security implication until a bunch of idiots like me do YouTube videos. right? And <laughs> so, But great point uh, on that. And I think you will see embedded malware in those systems. Right now, the data set's static. It's a 2021 data set. It's not changed. But you can go on Azure right now and get your own version of it and build your own, own things with those same GPT-3 roles and capabilities. And, you're 100% right, man. It's really good at like tactical linear scripting and pen testing stuff. It does a really good job of bringing together those things, but not so good in that creative thinking side of things right now.
4: I have a question. Uh-oh.
3: Um, uh, this is for Mr. Lee. Uh, it's
4: my understanding you'll be attending the uh, WatchGuard SKO gala
3: tonight. I will. Not in gala attire because I'm stupid, but um, I will be there.
4: Um, we have a choice of chicken and steak.
3: <laughs> uh, a rental, a rental, a cake amalgamation of, uh, no, and, uh, and salmon. I'll take salmon. Okay, great. Thank I'll you. Thank you. <laughs> so that was a sage question.
0: Uh, any other security or MSP related questions? <laughs> I'm going to ask an MSP related question. I'm wondering, we've been talking about remote work for three years now, and everybody's a little tired of it. But are your clients asking for anything different? I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of these businesses that aren't going back to work full time. And as people really start to think about, I don't know, Alexa listening in to what mm-hmm. their employees <laughs> are saying in their home offices or something like that, is any of that coming to the forefront? Or are they thinking about, what do I need to do to protect folks as they work in their offices? Or are they thinking about it differently?
3: I wish I could be positive on this. <laughs> uh, I have a
2: different opinion <laughs> <laughs> on working from home. And uh, I would say, I'm, I'm getting asked more about how do we maintain productivity of people? Sure. So more of like technology and, and monitoring of employees. Like the challenge is like, we're all here today together. And do you see the relationships that you're building here? Yeah, it's like hard to replace that. You, you just can't duplicate that from a remote workforce. Now we've we've changed the whole paradigm of what, you know, life and work balance looks like, but I you know, I fundamentally still believe that people need to be connected and you just can't get the same productivity out of my own staff when they're not together. When they can just say, "Hey, you know, what? I just I'm running into this thing here. Have you seen this before?" Bam. Solved. So uh, I know that's probably not your question about, you know, <laughs> IT but I, like for me um, my my whole view on just this I'm five days a week in the office I have four boys at home and so I like I can't work at home <laughs> there's just <laughs> no way I could work at home but but through that I mean the challenges that I think is that we are leaning into now technologies that are trying to uncover like how do we get people connected in different ways and we've you know I'm just I'm done with Teams and Zoom and everything else, but uh, I know that's not really security related, but that's my own view on remote work.
3: (laughs) And and I'll say, if you are on a Zoom call or a Teams call, just say, Alexa, what's my address? And see how many people have that challenge, because it will read it out. It's a fun one. (laughs) So
0: I guess with that, Calvin, Matt, Scott, thank you a ton for coming on. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening this week to a very special episode of the podcast. And thank you again to Matt, Calvin, and Scott for hopping on with us on stage and answering all of those great questions. Again, if you enjoyed today's episode or if you have questions or uh, suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SECADEPT. And the both of us are at hashtag
4: the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.